Earlier today, the BC government announced a new um, announced no new institutions will be allowed to enroll uh, international students for two years, as the province seeks to eliminate exploitative practices in the field. Uh, Minister Selena Robinson also announced the province was setting minimum language requirements at private institutions, so international students will be better prepared before coming to British Columbia. Now, Premier David Eby was asked about today's uh, announcement. Take a listen to some of his comments. It's important to keep in mind uh, with those numbers that this is the first stage of, frankly, a discussion that we're having with the federal government about the number itself, as well as any other areas that might be carved out for areas of particular need, Uh, training LPNs, uh, the nurses who work in long-term care facilities, for example, Uh, training for daycare workers, child care workers, uh, who allow us to open more child care facilities in the province if they're properly trained to our high standards, Uh, truck drivers, other skilled trades, These are areas where we know uh, we have significant labour shortages, uh, where these schools can be very supportive in supporting British Columbians. And so we'll be having conversations with the federal government about what the numbers mean and what the exemption areas may be. Joining me now to talk a little bit about the issue is Selena Robinson, BC's Minister of Post-Secondary Education and Future Skills. Minister, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Jeff. It's almost like we talked last week on this issue, but I think it's an important one, that's fact, for sure. In we did. <laughs> um, exploitative practices. How uh, bad had the situation gotten here in British Columbia? If you use the term exploitative practices, uh, how bad was it here in British Columbia and still is in regards to international students being taken advantage of? So in terms of you know, sort of numbers, it's really hard to say because certainly um, sort of you know, last year when we started to look at this, and I want to give a shout out to a couple of, of, of reporters, in particular Kieran Singh, who did a, I think a great job of helping to shine a light on some of these practices. Um, we would hear some complaints for sure, uh, where students were told to show up, uh, you know, at a, at a I'll just say a strip mall, go upstairs, or that's where the classrooms were. Mm-hmm. They'd show up and told that the rest of their program was all going to be online, for example, right? Rather than in class mm-hmm. learning, which is what they thought they were coming for. Um, but we also heard from, from students, um, immigrant service societies, um, as well as from students themselves, that to complain, because we have a complaint based system, to the um, to the PTIB, which is the Training Institute branch, the Private Training Institute branch, um, was really hard for some people. Either in their in their home country, complaining was not acceptable. It was, you know, there would be backlash, or they were afraid that they'd lose their student visa after you know they spent all this money. And so, um, the complaint-based model wasn't working for really understanding what was happening on the ground. Um, and so, we're going to be taking a look and actually doing inspections instead. We're going to take responsibility for making sure that people are delivering and schools are delivering what they say they're delivering. Will this lead to closure of private sector uh, colleges? Some some closures? Well, there, there might be. I mean, we're, 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 um, we're requiring certain standards and we're going to be checking on those standards. Um, and if they're not meeting those standards, uh, there will be an expectation that they raise the bar. I mean, this is about people getting hurt. They're spending a lot of money. They're looking forward to getting a good quality education. And if it's not being delivered, then we need to um, hold them accountable. And if they can't deliver them, then they'll have to rethink their business model. Why did it get so bad? It's a great question, Jazz. And I and I when I take a look at the data over time, um, the number of international students has been growing certainly over the last decade, um, but it's been growing at a somewhat steady pace. And really, uh, taking a look at some of the data, particularly around the private sector providers, it really spiked post COVID. 
um, it just sort of went through the roof post-COVID. And trying to understand sort of, you know, what was it about that? Because everything dropped during COVID for 18 months to two years, and then it just spiked back up and um, beyond what anything we'd seen before. And I think there's a couple of things. One, I think the pent-up demand, for sure, to for students, you know, to um, who want to come and get an education. But also... I think um, we're all familiar with working online, with learning online, and a lot of uh, operators. I mean, and I want to be clear, Jazz, there's lots of good operators, too. It's not the entire sector is bad, um, but we are hearing more and more stories where um, uh, people are getting what they paid for. Um, and so I think with the online, I think there are some operators that are taking advantage of that that are saying, you come into the classroom, um, and then we're just doing online. And it could be asynchronous, which means there isn't a, a body on the other side. It's just a recording. And you just go online. And so you're from a business model perspective, uh, you, you just have this one faculty person giving lessons, and people log online to get the lesson. How much do you, blame, not- how much do you blame the federal government on this uh, in regards to uh, this many international students coming in and the system not being able to provide them the education that they're paying for? Because it seems to me that these international students, many cases, are being used as temporary foreign workers and other way around uh, our immigration system. Well, I've certainly heard that, uh, heard that complaint. And I think the fact that it was, they were being, you know, in some ways given out like candy, if I can suggest, like they were just, um, and, and with the postgraduate work permit made it a very, very attractive way to come, uh, to come to Canada. And again, we need um, immigrants. We need a skilled, talented workforce. And we're prepared to work with the federal government um, to make sure that we are, are filling the vacancies that we know are there and that we know and anticipate over the next decade. We're going to have a million job openings, Jazz, um, and we know that with immigration numbers being set the way they are, there will be enough bodies coming to uh, Canada and coming to British Columbia, but we need to make sure that they have the skills they need. So healthcare workers, early childhood educators, truck drivers, carpenters, we need these. Uh, we need people to build the homes that we need, um, and there's not, frankly, not enough people. So we're going to be depending on immigration and international education to help train the workforce that we need. So I'm hoping that we can get um, a better, and what I'm going to be working for, and, and I know what the premier is going to be working for, is a better alignment uh, about um, working together with the federal government to make sure that we have a system that works for everybody and that supports our economy, supports the services that people depend on, um, and, and that international students, again, have a good experience, and they want to stay here. They want to stay here in Canada and continue to contribute. Uh, right now, we have 545,000 post-secondary students in public and private institutions in our province, but 175,000 are international students. Isn't that number quite high? I mean, in regards to percentage of total post-secondary, post-secondary institutions relying on international students. I mean, what, what number would you like to see? Because if you well, went to the average British Columbian and said we have 175,000 international post-secondary students in BC out of 545,000 post-secondary students, that number would be, I don't think, acceptable to most people. It's just too high. And and, and I, don't, I don't disagree. And 90, uh, 55% of those, right? So um, 94,000 um, international students are in our private training inst- institutions, in our colleges. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not sure that they're getting the quality that they should have. I'm not sure that they are getting the skills that are needed by our economy in terms of what is needed. And so we, 
collectively need to make, be making sure that, that that's happening. And that's what today's announcements are about, is that we have to have better alignment. We're also going to be working with our public uh, to ensure that they have the right balance and the right mix. Um, we, you know, taking a look. We, I do know that there's a couple of institutions where they, they are, they have probably more than their fair share of international students, and so we're going to be taking a look about how to how to right size um, their um, international student body, and also making sure that there's a, the supports for the students. Again, we want those students to have a good experience, have a quality education, so that they're ready for um, for contributing to our economy. And Jasmine, I just have two seconds to tell you a story I've heard of in one institution where. Um, they opened up another section mm-hmm. in this program, and all the students were from the same province in India in this section. Now, that's not international education the way I think any of us envision it. There should be interaction with, with domestic students. Um, the whole idea is to form relationships, um, to learn Canadian culture. But when we do that, that's not good either for the students or, or for, the, for the program or for the economy. Yeah, and, and the problem is, and you have recruiters uh, from one state, I'm going to assume that's Punjab, add to that, um, you know, uh, these companies charging other dollars that we may not know about, bringing them here, sometimes even heard of uh, some of these companies wanting to buy or invest in private schools in British Columbia. So it turns into a vertically integrated company where the, the issue is profit, not a kid's education. It's- My final question here, I just want to ask you, are public colleges and universities are also reliant on international students. Do you worry with this freeze, it will mean the public will have to put more dollars into the public education system just because we are so reliant on these huge fees these international students pay to prop up our public education system? So let's first of all be clear that that the the, the uh, international student fees are not subsidized fees, right? So, they, so, so international students pay the full cost of their education. And uh, when we do a comparison around the world, other um, English language countries, uh, we're in line with them. So it's not like they're different from any other, you know, on the global market. So if you take a look at Great Britain, or you take a look at the States or Australia, we're right in line with them in terms of what our institutions charge. Um, in terms of, you know, the impacts to the public institutions, those are conversations that we're ha- we've been having all week. Um, and our commitment is, you know, to work with them to make sure that they have the resources they need to continue to provide quality education for our domestic students and our international students, making sure that they have the supports they need um, so that everyone uh, you know, gets their educational needs met and that they can graduate with full confidence that they have a quality education and that they can contribute. Minister, thank you for your time today. Thank you very much, Jess. Have a good 